And good morning to you. I'm Dave Mitchell, and uh, pastor here as well. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for that. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I enjoyed uh, Tim Nellis's uh, announcements, the current highlights of our church family, but I, I couldn't help but think that as he began and in such a gracious and wonderful way, he told me I'm old. And that's basically... <laughs> so I, I just want to make sure you feel included as well in that. So. It has no relevance to anything I'm about to say, but I uh, just appreciated his good heart in sharing with us about God's work here at Calvary Church. We're in a series called Better Together, and it's from a fantastic letter that Paul wrote to the church that is in Ephesus, that is in the country of Turkey. It's a letter we refer to as Ephesians, and I invite you to take a Bible, if you have your own, or the Bible that is in front of you on the chair rack. And use that as a tool for allowing us to really hear what God has to say as we're in Ephesians chapter 5, 15 through 21. And there is a, uh, an outline in the bulletin and you will find that extremely helpful uh, today because I want to go through some things that are on that and uh, break it down a little bit more as I see what God says to us. I'd like to read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, these words that Paul writes. This is a portion. We'll get to the next portion next week. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul wants us to maximize our time. And I found this uh, interesting quote, as we want to make the most of our lives, to make the most of our time. Henry Nouwen has been uh, uh, really lifted up to a very high level in terms of his quotes and his writings. Uh, He said this one time, Jesus came to announce to us that an identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity, an illusion. Loudly and clearly, he says, you are not what the world makes you, but you are children of God. And that whole sense of who are we helps us to know where should we be going? Because once I kind of know who I am, then I know what I should do. And so the Apostle Paul wants us to make the most of our lives, to make the most of our time. He has identified in the first three chapters who we are in Christ, the forgiveness, the cleansing, the healing, the holiness that he gives to us. Then in chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6, he says, now therefore here is how you should live your life. Once you know who you are, then you know how you should live your life. And so we want to have that kind of identity as we go into this. And I'm going to show you there are three things that I think are essential that it shows on the outline that we need in order to make the most of our lives. To seek to know the Lord's will, to function under the power of the Holy Spirit, and then to express that faith in a variety of ways of worshiping our Father in heaven. So let me break this down and I hope in a very practical way. The first thing in order to make the most of your time, to make the most of your life, is to seek God's wisdom to understand and obey the will of God. 
And I think that people come to a Sunday morning service like this. You get up early on Sunday. You come here at 9 o'clock to worship with us. And you gather together in a way that uh, shuts out a lot of other activities that a lot of other people are doing, including sleeping in. You have come here, I believe, with some sort of an assumption that you want to do God's will. And sometimes it's a little fuzzy for us. Here's what the text says again in verses 15 and 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So in wisdom, he wants us to live our lives, making the most of your time. And the idea is to redeem the time, to buy it back, to make sure it is maximized to the fullest. Because we all have, as we're reminded, a limited time in which we're going to live. And I just hate always to be the bearer of bad news, but all of us in this room are going to be dead someday. And so before that day comes for us, we want to make the most of our time. Why should we make the most of our times? Because we're competitive against this world around us because the days are evil. There are those evil things that want to steal our time so that we don't maximize our lives. So then, do not be foolish... The fool is the one who says there is no God. I can live my life any way I want to. And I can pursue those things that I want, not what God wants. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So how do we understand the will of the Lord? And there's a lot of things that come along. I remember way back when uh, we were just graduating from Dallas Seminary. This is like in 1977. So again, I... I'm up there. So 1977. And I remember walking to Dallas Seminary from our apartment that I referenced last week, uh, if you were with us, the one with all the cockroaches that literally held together our building. And so as I walked from uh, that Swiss Avenue apartment down three blocks to Dallas Theological Seminary, I was looking at graduation in 1977, that spring of May. And interestingly enough, my dad came and gave sort of that commencement speech because he is a graduate of Dallas Seminary. He served on the board at Dallas Seminary. So I've got all this kind of heritage stuff going on, and I need to make a good decision. And I had the opportunity to go to a church in Phoenix that my dad's church, Bethany Bible Church, had started. And it's a brand-new startup church. And uh, my folks were inviting us to come and be part of the Phoenix area and that church. And then I also had the opportunity to go to a church in Corona where my father-in-law had his hand in, from Yucaipa where he pastored. I had my wife, as a dad was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. We were like into the pastor thing. And, uh, and so I had these two churches to decide from. Both were inviting me to come. I remember walking from the apartment to the seminary thinking, Lord, help me to know what you want me to do, which place should I go to? And when you have a decision to be, to make in terms of two equally good opportunities, it wasn't like one was sinful and one was righteous and, oh boy, I really feel drawn to sin, but I know I should do righteous. It was that they were both righteous. How do you make a decision upon this area of A or B both being righteous? How does the will of God become known to us? That's what I want to explore with you, and I'll show some of the things that I've done. But he says here this, be careful, the word careful. It's an interesting word that means this, to have a sort of a physical and mental perception, to look carefully, 
to examine all the issues. In fact, that same word is used in Luke 24, where after the resurrection of Jesus had occurred, Peter, one of the apostles, is looking around, and he goes to the tomb, and it says Peter got up and ran to this empty tomb of Jesus, stooping. He looked in. He was careful as he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling what had happened. If you have a loved one who's died, and someone else comes to you and says, their grave is empty, and you run to that grave, in those days it was a cave and a, hole, and a wall, and you want to get inside that cave and the stone is rolled away, are you going to look casually or carefully at the remaining elements that are in that empty now grave? Well, Peter looked very carefully. He examined all the linens that remained behind. He could find no traces of a body that once was there. There was no decay. There was no odor. There was no sense that a dead body had ever been there. And Peter is analyzing all the facts. And that's what Luke records for us, being a doctor. And so Paul says, like Peter looking inside an empty grave, examining and analyzing all the elements of that empty grave, I want you to do the same in life. I want you to assess, analyze, and study. Look carefully so that you make a good decision. Whether it's a church in Phoenix or a church in Corona, we want you to analyze it so you make God's will be done. Therefore, I need to avoid the evil distractions that will take me from that. He says the days are evil. So there's going to be a lot of temptations. There's going to be a lot of forces that are going to work against me. It's not always going to be easy to accomplish God's will. And so that shouldn't ever dissuade me from pursuing it. So how do you do that? Here's where I like to take you and make you into a giant life group. Just pretend like we're just one big small group, okay? What I'd like for you to do is to take the back side of the outline and here's something I've put together that I really like, and it's not just because I put it together, but mostly it is. <laughs> I've got what I call the six C's of knowing and doing the will of God. And when it came to me trying to decide between Corona and uh, Phoenix, uh, these are some of the things that I did, and these are still some of the things that I still do. In order to understand the six C's you, to do God's will, the first place I start is to contemplate in God's Word. Does God say anything about any of the things that I am addressing? For example, does God speak to the area of Phoenix or does He speak to the area of Corona? Scriptures say you shouldn't dwell in the hot desert. And so should, should that mean, so therefore, I, oh, I shouldn't go to Phoenix? I grew up in Phoenix. Was I always outside of the will of God? When my dad went to Phoenix in 1955, was he outside the will of God because it's terrible to live in the desert, in the hot desert? Well, no, that's a misinterpretation of Scripture. And so what we need to do is to have truth guiding us. And so I want to drill down a little bit on the importance of truth because we live in this crazy world where there isn't truth. Here's, here's a little tangential thing that maybe it's just me and, and so you can sleep for just a moment. But... Um, we have, we, have, we have surrendered on truth. For example, 
One of the places, and this isn't to put down any organization or, 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 or a sales place, because they're all good. I, I, t- I have a Harley Davidson, and, and one of the places that I'll go and, and do business with is the Los Angeles Harley Davidson of Anaheim. That's the name of their store, Los Angeles Harley Davidson of Anaheim, and it's located in Fullerton. Um, we can just say whatever we want to say, and it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. I bought a Harley Davidson from Westminster Harley. They have now become Huntington Beach Harley Davidson. They're still in Westminster. We can just say Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I mean, we can make these names. We have these titles and these words that... Are you a man or a woman? Well, let me see. Today, you know, we have gotten to this point where there is this confusion about what is true. Is there truth or is lying okay now? It's sort of creating your own version of truth because now the word is narrative. What is your narrative? What is your story? This is illustrated to me, and I'm going to kill two birds with one stone, and sorry for the metaphor. One of the things I love to do is to ride my bike. This is a bicycle. It's a road bike. If you don't know, there are mountain bikes or road bikes. Road bikes have little skinny tires. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was riding down in Tustin Ranch right there. That's my bike. And Tustin Ranch on Pioneer Road has a pretty nice little bike lane. So I'm right along in the bike lane. I'm going probably 20, 25 miles per hour because it's downhill. I am obese, according to Kaiser. And so gravity pulls me downhill very fast. And so I'm going down that hill, and there is this giant SUV that pulls out from the left-hand side. You can't see the road, but there's a road. And she turns and starts going the same direction as me. And as I am going, I'm watching her, and she comes all the way into my bike lane at the same time I'm in my bike lane. And it was like inches away as I scrunched my brakes to stop just barely in time because I thought, I'm going down. This woman's going to squish me like a bug. And uh, then I stopped, and she suddenly saw me and sped up in the bike lane. She went down the road a little ways, and there's a stop sign there, if you know the area, on Dustin Ranch. She stopped at the stop sign, of course, and then I saw her lower the passenger window. I pulled up alongside her as she lowered the passenger window. I didn't know whether I was going to get cussed out or something else. I've been cussed out like that. I've been told by one man when I was riding my bike in the bike lane, I want to squish you like a bug. That's what he said to me. It's crazy. What's wrong with people? And so she lowers the window down, and I look inside the window, and here's her like fifth grade kid who's saying, Mom, you're killing me right now. And she looks at me and says, I want to tell you how sorry I am. I'm so sorry. She said she was sorry. It had to be like 20 times before I could say anything. She said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So I felt good if that she had killed me. She would have felt badly about it. So I felt good about that. <laughs> and then I explained to her when she finally stopped apologizing because she obviously was contrite and sorrowful. That's okay. That's a good thing. I said, ma'am... I don't think I said ma'am. The bike lane, think of it as a wall. 
that if you cross over that bike lane, you've performed an illegal lane switch. I know that because I got a ticket for doing that one time. As the officer explained, you can't go over that white line. And I was in a jury trial where a woman was killed because they went over that, and we convicted him of manslaughter. So I know these things, sort of. <laughs> Anyways, I made the point that if you had killed me, that might have been a felony for you. Like, I'm dead. What do I care at that point? But you can't go over that white line, and this is what she said to me. I did not see you. I'm so sorry. I did not see you. And I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't matter whether you can see me or not. You can't cross the line. The line is there. It's a standard. It's a guard. It's truth. And the way the world thinks is I can betray the truth I can go over the line, literally and figuratively, if you will, the truth of God. As long as I think experientially, I'll be okay. Somehow she got it in her mind that it's okay to go in the bike lane if she doesn't see anybody or experience anybody or feel anybody there. And we have a mindset, and not to make her the, the, the victim in this thing, but we have a mindset that I can do whatever I want to do as long as I don't hurt someone and as long as I don't experience something bad from it. And so that's, that's what I took out of that situation. Secondly, don't go in the bike lanes. Please don't go in the bike lanes. Especially on Santiago Canyon Road when you're going around a curve, don't go in the bike lane. You're not going to save but a split second. Okay, that's something else. All right. But you hear what I'm saying? I just want to drive that home. What God says is to contemplate on the Word. The Word of God is true. Whether you think you're going to hurt someone or not, don't cross the line of biblical obedience. If my mind is not there, then I've got problems all the way down the line. I need to make sure that I walk the line. And God's Word says, don't do this, do do that. That's, that's the standard. Those are the sort of the guardrails. And once that's in my mind, I'm going to do a whole lot better on everything else. So I need to contemplate in God's Word. And then I have a caution on each of these. The caution, for example, on knowing God's Word is that sometimes, as he says in 1 Corinthians 8, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Sometimes we know so much that we walk around in pride and we don't walk around in love. In 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The condition of contemplating on God's word is conditioned upon my ability to accurately handle God's word. The Bible is a tool that I need to know how to use and to use it in a very specific way, scientifically driven in order to analyze and study so I don't come up with crazy ideas about how I should live my Christian life. So God says, contemplate on my word, but caution to make sure that you're accurately handling it. Secondly, how do you make a decision of God's will on two righteous opportunities? You counsel of godly people. We all know this. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, the people fail, but in abundance of counselors there is victory. 
Proverbs 13, 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 15, 22, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with the many counselors they succeed. And the caution is this in Romans 15, Concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish one another. If you're going to go to a counselor, make sure you go to someone who is filled with goodness and filled with knowledge. You don't go to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and ask them for wisdom. You go to somebody who's proven that they're filled with goodness, filled with knowledge. That's the caution of the godly people that are out there. In Acts 20, 1 Timothy 4, there are people who would deceive and there were people who are just kind of betraying the truth completely. The third standard to know between two righteous opportunities are circumstances of life. I look around and I analyze. Nehemiah is a classic example. Nehemiah chapter 2 says this, So I came to Jerusalem. He's coming to Jerusalem. The walls have been torn down. He is coming to be the sort of the contractor of building walls around Jerusalem. So what should he do? So he came to Jerusalem. He was there three days. And I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal in which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's wall and onto the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were consumed by fire. He says, I'm going to go out there, and I'm just going to study the problem. God says, I will use your wisdom as you study the problem. As Peter studied that empty grave and he carefully analyzed all the facts, he concluded Jesus is not here. And God says, I want you to analyze all the facts and the circumstances of your life. Be guided by that. And the challenge is that sometimes we come to open doors. You see, when I was going to go to either Phoenix or Corona, I had two open doors. And so if you have an open door, you think, well, an open door is from God. Sometimes the caution needs to be this. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, it says, But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me. He says, I'm going to go there until Pentecost because there's a wide door to go. So he goes through the wide door, but then he says, and there are many adversaries. Some people have the mistaken notion that if you go through a wide door an open door, it's easy. Often, if you go through the open doors from God, it's hard. I didn't go to Phoenix. I went to Corona. Corona was the church where they had previously fired the pastor, and a subgroup had left the church. And they started their own church, which is now the Evangelical Free Church there in Corona, which is a fantastic church. And I had nothing but headaches because I went to Corona. It was a wide open door, but there were adversaries. Sometimes when you go through wide open doors, don't think it wasn't an open door because there are adversaries. Adversaries are part of the deal. And you learn to live with them, you learn to manage them, and you learn to somehow help them either change or get lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, Now I came to Troas, the gospel of Christ, And here's another open door. When a door was opened for me in the Lord. A door was opened for me in the Lord, but he says, but I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went into Macedonia. 
Wait a second, Paul. You had a wide open door. You went to Troas. But I had no rest for my spirit, so I left. So caution. Circumstances of life, it looks like an open door. I got Corona, I got Phoenix. It may be that uh, a wide open door is not God's will. And it may be that I can have no rest for my spirit and I am not at peace with this. And so therefore, I should not do it. That's why it's so hard to do the will of God. If you're really a sensitive believer wanting to live following Christ, those open doors are filled with adversaries and those open doors may leave me with a restless spirit in my heart and to discern if it's God's will or not. I need those godly counselors. I need God's Word. I need to have a standard of truth so that it continues to guide me as I carry out God's will. The fourth thing is common sense. He says in Philippians um, 2.25, but I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. In 1 Corinthians 16, it says, it is fitting for me. There are some things that are necessary. There are some things that are fitting. There are some things that are best. Just do those things. I don't need to analyze the best there. But here is the common sense caution. When Peter was in a boat and Jesus is walking on the water, common sense says, stay in the boat. But as Jesus walked toward Peter, what did Peter do? He did the stupidest thing you can imagine. You jump out of a boat. Why would you jump out of a boat? Let him come to you. Peter gets out of the boat, and Peter walks on water. There's nothing commonsensical about that. Sometimes God invites us to do things that other people think you're an idiot because it makes no sense. Why would you do that? When we chose to go to Corona, there were people that said, that makes no sense. Phoenix is the better opportunity. And so sometimes we make these decisions that goes against common sense because the circumstances would suggest that Phoenix is the better opportunity than Corona is, humanly speaking. And so God has this sense that sometimes we need to be like Peter and we just sort of step out in faith and we don't know the outcome We're just going to believe that God's still in charge. And as Jesus walks in the water towards me, I'm going to get out of the boat and I'm going to walk in the water towards Him until my faith shrinks. And then I know that He'll be there to rescue me. And I've had many of a counter like that. And one of the reasons we're at Calvary today is because we were in Corona then. It's an amazing circumstances that God sort of pushed the first domino and suddenly here I am. It's amazing how God links things together when you make your decisions on faith rather than common sense. And sometimes God blesses people that quits a job and launches in an entrepreneurial way a new opportunity of business, and God says, I'm going to bless that. Sometimes we just have to walk by faith to do God's will. Conscience is another thing that I won't take any time to talk about. And then finally, contentment. What brings contentment in my life? It's interesting that when I chose to go to Corona rather than Phoenix, I said, God, would you give me peace in my heart? And God suddenly and instantaneously gave me peace. There was contentment. 
So we want to have contentment. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The problem with peace and contentment is that it can mislead us. The caution is this. When Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh, he didn't go to Nineveh. He booked passage in a boat to go the opposite way. And a storm came up. And when the storm came up, where was Jonah? Sound asleep in the boat. He was the most peaceful guy in the boat. And all the pagan sailors were throwing everything over and they wanted to throw Jonah over eventually. Everybody else was in chaos, but Jonah was at sleep in peaceful contentment. Sometimes peaceful contentment is a dangerous place because it's really a callousness disobeying God's will. It's not easy to do God's will, but I can tell you one thing. If you take those six C's and you begin to massage them together and say, Now, God, I know the cautions, but I know your word. I step out in faith. Make it happen. God loves to do that. God loves to take our faith and bless us in that. So as you pursue God's will, you make the most of your time. As you pursue God's will, you do it by the power of the Spirit because the Spirit comes in and He begins to teach us and to guide us. He says, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. There are many ways the Spirit works. He indwells us. He seals us. He baptizes us. But this one is a command of a present action that every day I need to be filled with God's Spirit because I can't do this job unless the Spirit of God's working in me. And the Spirit leads, He guides, He prompts, He nudges, He urges. And that's why we ended up in Corona rather than Phoenix. The Spirit of God nudged us and urged us, go to Corona. They need you more than the people in Phoenix need you. And so we went to Corona. Why did we go to Lodi? When we had a chance to go to Lodi, we also had another church that was competing with our time. We had two equally great opportunities. And we went to Lodi instead. And when we went to Lodi, everybody in Corona says, where's Lodi? Why are you going there? Can you see the edge of the world from there? It made no sense to anybody. But there we went. And there are those times when the Spirit of God just does His work that He nudges and prompts, urges, teaches godly counsel comes together and you have that assurance. And so I need to be very careful that I'm filled completely. The idea of being filled is described here in John 12. Then Mary took a pound of very costly perfume and pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her feet, his feet with her hair, and the house was filled. That's the same word. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Same word for this perfume. Filled the room with the fragrance of perfume. When the Holy Spirit comes, He fills me like, like the fragrance of perfume in a room. It, it just sort of takes over. And everybody notices that it is there. When I want to do God's will, I need that complete control of mind, body, and spirit so that I am carried along, controlled by the Spirit of God. You invite Him to do that through the confession of sin, and ask Him specifically, God, please fill me now. And He will do that if you confess your sins. 
and He will control you by that Spirit. And I need to avoid any kind of intoxicating distractions which diminishes the Spirit's control. He says, don't be drunk with wine. And I don't know, maybe they had a problem with drinking too much wine, getting drunk in their services. It may be. All I know is that uh, you need to be careful. Proverbs 31 says this, It is not for kings, O Lemiel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. They give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him who is life is bitter. You see, drink makes me forget how bad life is. Drink, alcohol, makes me forget how good God is is. And so he says, let him drink and forget his poverty. Remember his troubles no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all the unfortunate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and needy. The idea, O king, don't drink hard liquor because it distorts your thinking. That's why Joy and I, we're teetotalers. We don't drink. We never drink. Occasionally I'll taste a little bit of champagne at somebody's wedding and then I'll say, oh, why did I drink that? It's terrible. And so that's, that's the extent of it. Because I figure it's one less thing. I've got so many other things, like Sarah Lee cherry pie. I mean, I could be addicted to that thing. It's just like, do I need one more thing like that to make me even more obese than I already am? I don't think so. So simplify. Cut out those stuff that you just don't need. And then finally, let me wrap up with this. Offer thankful words. When the Spirit fills you, when you're doing God's will, you want to come to a service like this and lift up and praise and thank God for all that He's done. You just want to praise God. He's so good to me. He's done all these things in my life. And so the Apostle Paul says this to the believers. As the Spirit of God fills you, you, you will be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Paul is just filled with the Spirit, he says this. He says, man, I want you to live it up. And there's a variety of ways you do that. And here are the three ways you express praise. Hymns, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It means, therefore, there are a variety of ways we should worship God. We have celebration, we have elevation, we're in a we have other ways. But even in a celebration, this is what we call this service, there should be a variety of ways. And there are psalms. Those are words that are written by God. There are hymns. There are words written by man about God. And then there are spiritual songs that are words written by men or women about their experiences in life. And I've given you some examples. Psalm 115, 116. Are, those are two psalms that praise God and written by God for God. It's all God-oriented. Then there are the hymns that are theologically driven. First Timothy 3.16, Ephesians 5.14 are probably two examples of the hymns in those days that they would sing. They're theological type songs written about God by people. And then spiritual songs are often more sort of on the horizontal, written by me about others, about what God has done. Now, let me give you an example of a spiritual song that all of you are able to do as well. Now, Ron already told us that some of us are terrible singers. <laughs> Remember that? Were you here when Ron said that? I was just terribly offended, insulted, of course. But let me give you an example 
of a spiritual song. I have one right here. And one of the things that spiritual songs were done, for example, in Exodus 15, God did this amazing miracle, part of the Red Sea, like, wow. You know, how often do you get to see something like that? <laughs> Once in the history of mankind, that's how often. Um, and so I have a spiritual song written by a man about life. So Joy and I, when we got married, we somewhere, I don't know how it came about, we actually came up with a song that became sort of our song. I'm probably the least romantic guy in this room, so I'll be first to it acknowledge. I'm not very romantic, and, and uh, I'd rather talk about my motorcycle than diamond rings. And so, uh, but Stevie Wonder, that good Christian guy, wrote a song called, You Are the Sunshine of My Life. Remember that song? I know a lot of us are old enough to remember that song. When it first came out, right? Little 45, the big hole in the middle. Okay. And so I'm going to give a spiritual song to my wife of 41 years. Okay? You don't need to clap. No, don't clap. You don't clap. Joy. She's loving this right now. She's loving this. You are the sunshine of my life. That's why I'll always be around. You are the apple of my eye. Forever will stay in my heart. I feel like this is the beginning, though I've loved you for a million years and I may look like it. And if I thought our love was ending, I'd find myself drowning in my own tears. Whoa, oh, oh, ah. <laughs> you are the sunshine of my life, and that's why I'll always stay around. Mm-mm, yeah, yeah. You are the apple of my eye. Forever you'll stay in my heart. You must have known that I was lonely because you came to my rescue. That was back when I was at Dallas Seminary living in the old YWCA with a room by 10 by 10 with a little radiator uh, heater that would bang in the middle of the night. And I was so alone. And I know that this must be heaven. How could so much love be inside of you? Whoa, oh, oh, oh. You are the sunshine of my life, yeah. That's why I'll always stay around. You are the apple of my eye. Forever, you'll stay in my heart. So thank you. So, if any of you guys would like to borrow this, that, written by a man about something very biblical, right? Being a husband and a wife, beautiful. And that's our song. We, when that comes on the radio, uh, back when we used to listen to the radio, uh, <laughs> oh, you are the sunshine of my life. Uh, that's our song, we would say. That's our song. And so we need to have hymns that praise God and spiritual songs that praise God to other people. Paul says, do it all. Words of God, words about God, words to other people. They're appropriate ways to worship and honor our God. And so he wraps it up by saying, lift your hearts and praise to the Lord. And we're going to praise God in a very specific way. Communion. 
First Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, you see, communion is a thankful spirit. It's a spirit of worship and praise to God. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let me take that word thanks. And my little analytical mind says this. It is Eucharistio, from which we get the English word Eucharist. Sometimes communion is referred to as the Eucharist. Why the Eucharist? Because Eucharist is E-U meaning good, and Christo, it is from charis meaning grace, to, to say good grace to say thanks to God for the good grace that is ours. Communion is an expression of the grace of God to allow us to have a relationship with a holy God who demands us to be holy. If I'm going to make the most of my life, I need to do God's will so I live in holiness according to the guidelines that He's given me so that I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to have holiness. I can't be filled by the Holy Spirit if I don't have holiness in me. That comes through Jesus And I can't praise God unless I have holiness that allows me to really, from the heart, give thanks to Him. So this passage is core to being a thankful spirit of saying good things about God. And communion is just one more step. And if you have anything that's holding you back from the Lord, anything of rebellion or disobedience or willful sinfulness, would you confess that? And let this moment of bread and cup be your symbolic way of saying, yes, God, thank you for what you've done for me. And I praise you. I give you thanks. This is my Eucharist to you, God, of good grace that you've given to me. So thank you. Let me pray for this and the bread will be passed out. Help us, Father, as we bring these elements before you. And as Jesus gave thanks for them, and thankful for what they mean beyond just the element itself. Father, we're thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. This communion is our expression of thankfulness to you because your will was done through Jesus so we could be filled by your Spirit and give praise to your almighty name. And so thank you, Father, for this bread as we celebrate the life that we've gained through Christ and symbolize with this element. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.